Uh, Matthew chapter 5. I'll begin reading verse 1. Please join me in verse number 2, and we'll close together verse number 10. Matthew 5, 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This morning, I'd like to take that fourth, that we're looking at the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Father, help us this morning. Good to see some first-time guests and visitors. I pray you'd help them to feel welcomed in our services. Truth of the matter is, Father, uh, from pastor to every person here, we're needy people. Our souls have deep needs for Thee. And Lord, I pray that You would help Your servant this morning, and I pray that Your Word uh, would lead us through the Holy Spirit, that You would help us to apply uh, the teaching of this text. I pray for Your aid and the ability, Father, to accurately divide the Word of truth. I pray for one that may be here this morning that does not know Christ as Savior, and I pray that today You might cause them to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Uh, and trust you as Lord and Savior for the child of God that's gotten a little bit away from you. That hunger and that thirst is no longer there. Would you convict us, bring us back to your side. Help us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. No sad goodbyes will there. Time will matter anymore. the land I'm longing for you, and someday on thee I'll Where my 
for the message. Thank you, folks. That is a, heaven's a real place, isn't it? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Let me go back and review. I know we have folks here that have not followed us throughout the study. The word blessed, according to Webster's, means happy, prosperous, enjoying spiritual happiness in the favor of God. And so here the Lord lays out in the book of Matthew chapter 5, uh, what happiness looks like. I think about this, happiness and fulfillment are two of the most sought after things in the American culture. As parents, and there's nothing wrong with this, we want our children to grow up and have it better than we had it, right? We want them to be happy. Can I say this to you in the kindest way I know how? We should want them to be holy. Sometimes the two come together, sometimes they do not. But according to Harris Research, only one-third of Americans living today say that they're happy. I'm going to, and I don't want you youngsters to get mad at Pastor this morning, but I want to give you the results of Pew Research. If you go back 150 years, 100 years in our culture, do you think, now watch this, the young people, we have more today by far than any generation's ever had. We do. We have nicer things and, and, and things that our parents and grandparents could only dream of. 
And yet, according to Pew Research, I want to show you when was the happiest or who are the happiest people living in America today. The first group, the happiest generation, is what Pew calls the traditionalist. These are folks born before 1946. This is the waste not, want not generation. This is the generation that came out of the Great Depression, and they're the happiest. Now, let me say this to you. If you study the Great Depression, and what, how could the generation that comes out of that be one of the happiest generations? They say this. Pew says what makes traditionalists happy is loyalty, and they are fiercely loyal. They're loyal to, to family and marriage and relationships, and they want to be loyal to the things that stand the test of time. So those born before 1946, Pew found out, are the happiest generation. The second are the baby boomers. Now that's 46 to 64. How many baby boomers here today? You're a baby boomer, all right? The boomers rode a roller coaster of change during their youth. Uh, they're witnessing the Vietnam War, the moon landing, the civil rights movement, and they were taught to push back against authority. Jerry Rubin uh, and, the, and, the, and the Beatles and, and all of this. This is when policemen became pigs. Push back. So the baby boomers were taught the Vietnam War, stand up, resist. But they're the second happiest. What makes boomers happy is impact. I want to change the world. I want to matter. I want to make a difference. Boomers' happiness meters are the highest when they know they're leaving their stamp on the world. So what is, according to Pew, what is the third happiest group in America? That's generation Gen X. That is 1965 to 1979. How many Gen Xers? Raise your hand. That, that's you, all right? As a generation, they grew up when the divorce rate tripled and moms went back to work in mass. Gen, Gen Xers were brought up to fend for themselves and become independent at a very young age. Now think about this. They watched the scandals in America unfold. Watergate, Iran-Contra, the savings and loan crisis. As a result, they became very leery of institutions and even churches. The Gen X is one of the hardest generations to meet because anything, anything inst institutional, they said we're leery of. So you think about this. They became leery of institutions and armed themselves with a protective shield of skepticism, self-reliance, and independence. What makes Gen Xers uh, happy? Autonomy. In other words, I'm going to do what I want to do. The third happiest of the generations. And then comes, according to Pew, the millennials. 1980 to 1995. Millennials, raise your hand. All you millennials, raise your hand. Now, what about, what are you? According to Pew, millennial kids born in the 80s and 90s, some of the most Beloved after-school activities included spending hours after typhoid fever in the Oregon Trail or chanting in acronyms or the AOL instant messengers. All right, now watch it. What makes millennials happy? Experiences. 
They are, they are want to be on social network. Their phones and the internet are important. They are the one that coined the phrase, YOLO, you only live once, so you might as well go for it. All right? They're the fourth happiest. The fifth happiest is Generation Edge, born after 1995. What appears to make Gen, Ed Gen Edgers happy is learning. We want to be the people that learn more and know more than mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. Let me say this to you. So according to Pew, the generation we live in is the least happiest of all generations of Americans. And yet we have the most. Why? Because we're leaning on things that cannot make us happy. And so let's go back to the Word of God and let God tell us where happiness emanates. By the way, a recent study I heard, and you may have heard the same thing, proved this, and this is not a Christian study, a religious study, that those that go to church regularly are some of the happiest people alive. All right? And so there's something to that. By the, and you think about that. In fact, today, our... our Culture is not happy. They are mad and angry. Have you seen the protest in our, in our country? Have you seen them recently? That we don't get what we want, so we're going to protest. We're mad and we're angry. Now, I'm going to say this to you. Let's go back and review a little bit of what we've learned. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We summed it up like this. Poor in spirit we should admit our need for God. Amen. Do you this morning have a need for God? Amen. So you and I, before we're saved, we have to have uh, become poor in spirit and admit my religion, my church, my good works, everything that I do does not fill that need, that void that is in my heart. Become poor in spirit and admit your need for God. Then when the second Sunday we looked at mourn, Blessed are they that mourn. And we said this, be willing to be broken before God. I know we men, and I like a man's man. I don't like a feminine man. I don't get along good with feminine men. I think men ought to be men. I think that in America was built on the back of men. That Then let me say this to you. In the culture today, what I'm saying is not politically correct. Not politically correct. Masculinity, male masculinity. Do you see the Gillette ad? Huh? Go and Google it. Just look at the Gillette ad. Men, put away your barbecues and put away your guns and, and put away all of these things that men attach themselves to. Now, I'm going to say this to you, but men, all those things being true, we ought to know what it is for our hearts to be broken. We ought to, it's not a shameful thing for a man to shed a tear. Not a shameful thing for a man or a woman. So we think about this to mourn, to be willing to be broken before God. We looked at two weeks ago meekness, to give up your quest for personal rights. We said this at the end of that message Sunday morning two weeks ago. We've shown this, and not only Pew found this out in his studies, that we look at this. The preaching of rights will garner rebellion, hence Vietnam. I have my rights. The preaching of rights will garner rebellion. The preaching of responsibilities will bring revival. Amen. 
give up your rights. Now let's look at it today. We see it this way then. Let's put it another way. Poor in spirit is to be humble, to mourn, to be hurting. To meek is to be harnessed. Meekness is not weakness. And today we're talking about hunger. I want you and I to do the same thing I did. I do every time. I don't build a message and to build for you. I look first at the Word of God and I say, Lord, show me what I need. So I'm going to ask you the same questions that the Holy Spirit laid on my heart. Is there a hunger in your heart right now for God? Is there a hunger right now for God in your heart? Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And I'm going to ask you this second question, a follow-up. Was that hunger ever stronger than it is right now? There was a time in your life or mine when that hunger was more for God than it is right now. Can I tell you this? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be morbid. I've been through this many times as in my own family. I've been many, through this many times as a pastor. As we go to the bedside and sometimes uh, to a hospice house or somebody that's home under hospice care. Hospice can almost nail it down within hours of when somebody's going to pass. They will give you a little pamphlet if you're the caregiver, and they will tell you there's 10 things that you'll look at, and those 10 things will come to pass 100% of the time when somebody is dying. And one of those things is this. They have no desire for food or nourishment or water or anything to drink. Can I say this in the kindest way I know how to say it? If you're here this morning and you have no hunger for God, no thirst for God, you're dying spiritually or you're dead. And if you claim to be saved and know Christ as Savior and there's not a hunger in your heart for the things of God and the ways of God and the people of God, you are dying spiritually. You may be saved and on your way to heaven, but according to these passages, you are dying. Blessed are they. Happy are they that hunger and thirst. Augustine said it this way. Thou hast made us for thyself, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Is that true? It's true. You and I were made for God, and there is a void in your soul and mine. And until we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we receive Him as our Savior, and acknowledge our sinful debt before Him, and turn to Him and receive the mercy and grace that He offers us. And we, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ becomes our Savior. Until that time, there is nothing that will fill that void. Put your name on a church roll. Be baptized. Go through the religious dogma, whatever it is. Nothing will fill that void. Why, Augustine's right. You and I are made for God and only God can fill that need. So a pastor once said, I have found in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is this. I was not made for this world. And you were not made for this world. You see, this life is just a what? It's a vapor. 
that appears for a while and it vanishes away. But the next life is for all of eternity. And the truth of the matter from Genesis chapter number 1 and chapter number 2 where God said he formed Adam from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living eternal soul. You and I were not made for this world. The cars and the houses and the bank accounts and the pleasures we experience and the relationships we give, you think about those things, will never fill that void in your soul if you don't know Christ the Savior. You and I were made for God. Now let's look at this if we can and how this manifests. I want to show you the object. I want you to take your Bible, leave a marker in Matthew 5. Turn to the book of Romans. The object of hunger Jesus said there, he that hungereth and thirsteth after what? Righteousness. Righteousness, according to Webster's, is this, the purity of heart, the conformity of a life to the divine will of God, or holiness. Stay with me. I'm not trying to set you up. If Webster's right, the purity of heart, he's describing righteousness, the conformity of a life to the divine will of God, holiness. I want to ask you a question. Is your heart pure? Because mine is not. Jeremiah 17, 9 gives us a description of man's heart, and it says, it's deceitfully wicked. But Webster says, listen, and the Word of God says righteousness is, I'm going to conform a pure heart, purity of heart, a life that is, that is yielded to the divine will of God, holiness. Let me ask you another question. Is your life or mine totally conformed to the will of God? Did you do the entire will of God this week, every moment, every, every minute, every hour, every day? Did you? Because I didn't. My heart is not pure. I didn't always conform to the will of God. I ask you this, are you or am I completely holy this morning? So how then can we be righteous? The right answer to each of these questions is no. No, my heart is not pure. No, I have not conformed to the will of God every way, every each and every step of the way this week. I, and it burdens me and it bothers me the times that I broke my father's will or I didn't do something I should have done. Look at Romans chapter 7. So it was that the Apostle Paul fought the same thing. Look at verse number 14. Romans, 4, Romans 7, verse number 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. For what I hate, that do I. Sounds like a teenager speaking, doesn't it? For then I do that which I would not. I consent unto the law that is good. Now then is it is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that, that I would do uh, not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Do you see Paul's struggle? Paul loved the Lord. Maybe unlike anybody, Paul had a deep desire for the Lord. He wrote in another one of his epistles that I might know him. The most intimate word used in all of the Bible. Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bare a son. And Paul said, I want to know him. I just don't want to get saved and get my name in the Lamb's book of life. I want to know him. 
I want to know God. And this man that had a deep knowledge of God and deep desire to walk with God said, there's a there's a battle going in me of the things that I shouldn't do, I do. And the things that I should not do, I do those things. Is that you? Because that's me. Now watch what he says. He sums it up. Look at verse 21. For I then, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity into the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now watch this. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Jesus Christ is the only one that can make you righteous. A church can't make you righteous. I can pray a prayer with you. I can baptize you. I can put your name on the church roll. But it will not give you righteousness. So what are you saying this morning? Go back to man. Matter of fact, stay in, stay in Romans if you would. Religion's inability to make us righteous. Can I say this to you? None of the world's religion can do anything to make you righteous before God. You can leave the Baptist church and go join the Jehovah's Witness. You can leave the Jehovah's Witness and go to the Mormons. You can go to the Mormons and go to the, to the Islamic faith. You can go to the Buddhists. You can go wherever you want to go. There is not a religion that can make you righteous before God. All they can do is cultivate that old Adamic nature. All they can tell you, listen, why don't you live by these rules? And why don't you do this? And don't do that. And all they're doing is cultivating the Adamic nature, the carnal nature in you and I. The religion of this world cannot make us righteous. Can I say this? Matter of fact, go to Matthew 5. Who were the most righteous of all in Jesus' day? The scribes and the Pharisees. Were they not? And look at chapter 5 and look at verse number 20. The scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' days were the most righteous. The law came down and they watched you to make sure you didn't walk too far on the Sabbath. You didn't build that fire. Your clothes didn't have two different types of things woven together. They watched you and they watched you and they watched you. If you broke the law and you broke the law and you broke the law. The most righteous of all in Jesus' day. Look at verse number 20. Does it not say something like this? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. What's he say? For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall not exceed the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees. You shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but I know this. There is a heaven and God wants you. And through his son, Jesus Christ, who came and paid the price, he wants to spend all eternity with you there. The choice is yours, but you're not going to get there through religion. The origins of, of hunger is righteousness. I want to show you the origins of righteousness. Now go back to Romans, Romans chapter 3. You say, preacher, I want to hunger after the things of God. And there is a hunger in my heart for God to know Him. I want to show you the origins of our righteousness. Would you read together? Verse 23, Romans 3, 23. Would you read it together, please? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Is that you? It's me. 
the glory of God was his son, Jesus Christ. Is there anyone here that can look in his face and say, Jesus, we're here. Look in Jesus' face and say, I'm every bit as good as you. No, why? Because you have fallen short. Guess what? I have fallen short. And every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl born of Adam falls short of that glory of God, that righteousness, that pure holiness. What is the origins of righteousness? The word righteousness occurs 33 times in the book of Romans. The book of Romans tells us that righteousness is first revealed. Look at chapter 1 and verse 17. Can I know God? First, the righteousness is revealed. Verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God has showed it unto him. How did God show it? For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. God revealed himself. No wonder it's a horrible thing. A little while ago, my wife and I had the great opportunity to teach our teens and I taught them about some things I don't like to teach them about. Our young girls, our women are taking the precious life of a little baby. And in now seven states have said it's okay. Even if mama's in the process of giving birth, they can take that baby and kill it. So we talked about, is your life valuable to God? What gives something value? Who made it gives it value. Who made you? God made you. And then second thing that gives value is this. What price somebody's willing to pay. Jesus died on Calvary's cross for you. That's how valuable you are. Why are young people doing this? I'm going to tell you why. We've taught them they came from monkeys. We've taught them the lie of evolution. There is no God. You remove God from life and you have nothing. What difference does it make? And can I say to this, I'm not going to get political this morning, but child of God, it's a long time. We stopped voting like mama and daddy voted because mama and daddy voted a certain way. We're going to vote that way. Can I say this to you? We will give an account to God for the people we vote for if those people don't uphold Christian values. Everyone of the president candidates that are, that are running for the Democratic Party right now have said, we're okay with the laws of New York. How can I, as a child of God, how can I say, you get my vote? Kill those babies. Where's the origins of our righteousness? It's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the truth of the matter is, you think about this, that righteousness is revealed. Evolution is a horrible thing being taught in our schools, and here's why. It removes God from life. Then the Bible says in Revelation, in Romans, that righteousness is required. You and I are not getting into heaven in our own righteousness. The righteousness is required, Romans tells us, and then that righteousness must be received. Look at chapter 5 of Romans and verse number 11. First, Romans tells us that the righteousness of God is revealed, and then that righteousness is required, but then it can be and it should be received. Romans 5, 11. 
Not only so, but we also join God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom now we have received the atonement. Look at chapter 8 of Romans and verse number 15. Chapter 8 and verse number 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Look at chapter 15. <coughs> Excuse me, verse number 7. Romans chapter 15. And look at verse number 7. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Watch this, Romans. Righteousness is revealed. The sun and moon and stars tell us and point us to a, a creator God. He reveals himself to us. And now he shows us righteousness is required. You and I aren't getting into heaven in our own merits. But aren't you glad Romans also tells us that that righteousness of God can be received through faith in Christ. We can receive it. Jesus can be our savior. Heaven can be our home. Our name can be written in the Lamb's book of life. The origins of hunger, the origins of righteousness. It is once, it is only once we receive Jesus Christ as Savior that we can have true righteousness. You say, preacher, help me with that. We are constituted righteous before God positionally by faith in Christ. How does God see you positionally? If you've received Christ as Savior, positionally, He sees you as a son of His, right? We cry out, but Father, you're a child of God. But watch it. What about practically? You just told me a little while ago that you fight the same thing I fight, and we all fight the same thing Paul fights. I want to do right, but sometimes I don't. Oh, wretched man that I am. Is that you? So practically... Positionally, by faith in Christ, I am in perfect standing with God. Aren't you glad? But what about practically? Practically, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, He brings with Him, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us brings with Him the nature of Jesus Christ and the ability to live a righteous life. You and I can live a holy life before God because of the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in us. Our standing and our state will one day be in perfect harmony when we, re we receive our glorified bodies. Then we will be like Him for all of eternity. We've looked at this. The object of our hunger should be righteousness. We looked at the origins of righteousness and it's through Jesus Christ. Now I want to show you the order of our lives. Finish the verse. We don't have time to turn there this morning. If you can, Jesus said, Be ye for I am... Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and mind. Are you there yet? Are you holy? Do you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? No, we don't. None of us do. The order of our lives to be like Jesus should be the goal of every believer. Preacher, how can I do this? One last text. Turn with me. Galatians 5. We said this positionally in Christ. I stand in perfect standing before God. But practically through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. He brings with him the power of God to live the life that would be in concert with the divine will of God. Rome, Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. This I say then. 
Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And they are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, and you'll look at all those. But look at verse number 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. If you take those attributes of the Spirit-filled Christian and you go back to the book of Matthew chapter 5 and look at the Beatitudes, they mirror each other. Are you saved? If you're saved, the Holy Spirit of God resides in you. And that Holy Spirit brings with Him the power of God so that you and I can live the life. Oh, preacher, I just couldn't get over that. I just, I just, uh, the devil made me do it. The devil doesn't make you do anything. You do it willingly. Desires, I'm going to give you one. I sorry, I, I didn't mean purposely not tell you the truth. Revelation 22, last verse we'll use this morning. I ask you this this morning. Do you hunger after the things of God? There's some in here today. You're not yet saved, yet you're hungering for God. Let me encourage you to receive Christ as Savior. But most of us in that room have made that commitment. Jesus Christ is our Savior. Are you hungering for the things of God? I want to show you Revelation 22. I'm going to make a statement. Follow me. The desires of both the righteous and the lost will be fulfilled. The lost man doesn't want anything to do with God today. I'm going to party it up. I'm going to eat, drink, and be married. Tomorrow I die. Don't tell me what to do. I've got a right to my own life. You know what? You know what hell, one of the worst things about hell is not the fire. For all of eternity, you will desire for the first time in your life, you'll desire God and you will not be able to get Him. You say, preacher, I don't believe that. Look at Revelation 22. Look at verse number 11. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. I can eat and drink and be merry. I can have my, there's not going to be any beer in hell. I'm just going to live it up. And God said, okay, it's not what I want. I wanted to save you. I wanted to forgive you. I wanted to take you to heaven. If you go to hell, you go as an intruder. Wasn't made for you. Loving God wants you to, to be saved. And loving God sent his son to die on the cross. He paid your penalty. He paid your price. But if you don't acknowledge that, righteousness has been revealed, and it is required. It can be received, but you have to do it. Both the lost and saved will fulfill their desires throughout all eternity. Lost people in hell will crave righteousness, but with no possibility to fulfill it. One of the greatest tragedies of hell. Say, preacher, what about me? I'm saved. I know I'm saved. But man, I'm stumbling. 
One day I live for God and one day I can't. Can I say this to you? Is there still a hunger in your heart, beating in your heart to love God and serve God and for God to be, to be approving of your life? So I say this to you. Child of God, keep seeking a righteous life. You're never going to attain it this side of heaven, but keep trying. Stay in God's word. This word, these words, Jeremiah said, I did find them and I did eat them. When I get into the word of God, the word of God feeds those great desires and it makes me hunger for the things of God. Stay in the word of God. Get in the word of God every day, every moment of your life. Be in the word of God. Stay in church. Stay in church. Seek forgiveness of your sins. Forgive one another readily. Why? One day. I don't know what it's like, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make much a pastor because I, my Christianity shames me in some ways. I remember the first time I saw the city of Chicago. Grew up on a farm country and dairy farm in eastern Colorado. Never been to the big city. College put us on a bus, take us up to go soul winning in the city of Chicago. As that bus drove down the Denron Expressway. And I looked at how people lived. There was something in my heart. It just began to stir. And say, God, can you reach these folks? Can you use me if I pass out a track to tell somebody about you? Can you get a little boy or girl on a bus so they might get saved? That wasn't a good man riding that bus. Because I'm just like you. I'm selfish and self-centered. But that hunger that I had that day, that hunger for God to use me, that hunger for God to walk with me, that hunger to know God and know the things of God has never left. And child of God, some of you here this morning, you remember the times when God spoke to you like that. You remember the times when God moved on your heart and it's been light years before you felt that. Can I encourage you today? Hunger again. Get on your knees. Have sin confessed. Ask for and seek forgiveness. Sometimes that forgiveness is with a mate. Husband or wife making it right child, a friend. Stand please, Father, help us this morning. Teach us to hunger and thirst for you. Oh God, I ask you to forgive me in the callousness and coldness of my heart. How many days, how many hours of the day, how many weeks or can I walk without ever hearing your voice? I understand what Paul went through. A constant prayer of my lips, O oh, wretched man that I am. Some need to come this morning and trust you as Lord and Savior, and I pray that would happen. Help them not to wait another moment.